if anyone saw you now, they'd think you were Aslan, the great lion himself. That would be dreadful, said Puzzle. No, it wouldn't, said Shift. Everyone would do whatever you told them. But I don't want to tell them anything. But think of the good we could do, said Shift. You'd have me to advise you, you know, I'd think of sensible orders for you to give. And everyone would have to obey us, even the king himself. We would set everything right in Narnia. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we're doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you for joining us for the beginning of the end. And we don't mean that like, you know, Voyage of the Dawn Treader was, where the beginning of the end was like half the book. Uh, But this is the first chapter of the seventh and final book of the series, The Last Battle. But yeah, this time the ending is an entire book long. <laughs> this ending is an entire book long, not just half. But uh, general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories, pieces of fiction, pop culture that we do enjoy. We'll do our best to give a spoiler warning along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we're discussing the first chapter of The Last Battle, chapter one, by Cauldron Pool, because... I want to make sure that you listeners out there know it's cauldron, not cauldron, C-A-U-L-D-R-O-N, which Are I would spell it. Sure, it's not cauldron. Is it cauldron? Because they make. I have no clue. Too. It's one of those dumb like spelling things where like it's a pool that is basically a cauldron at the bottom of a waterfall. Right. It's probably pronounced cauldron, but. Yeah, it's spelt wrong. So yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't matter because like it's not even a British thing because you know J.K. Rowling will say like cauldron many times in the Harry Potter books with a U. Well, and yeah, the British and people love that. If it was U. a British thing. It would be C A O U L D R O U N. Yeah, it would be pronounced exactly the same. Give me as many vowels in there as possible. Yeah. So I don't Maybe know. Maybe throw an E on the end just for the just for the heck of it. Uh, it's Calzone Pool, uh, but Chase. It's my new as we're talking as we're talking about Cauldron Pool. Uh, could you uh, give us a summary of our first chapter? You know, this is not the first podcast this week that I've uh, heard about someone getting tossed into a calzone, but uh, I won't digress any further. Uh, all right, so jumping in uh, in the last days of Narnia. Far up to the west, beyond the lantern waste and close beside the great waterfall, there lived an ape. His name was Shift, and he was very old, wrinkled, and clever. Shift had a friend and neighbor who was a donkey named Puzzle, although if you stop to observe them, uh, it was more like Puzzle was Shift's servant. He always did all the work, and Shift would take the better things of what they gathered together for himself, making excuses for why he really deserved it. Puzzle went along with it because he knew Shift is more clever than he is, and he thought it was mighty kind of Shift to be friends with him at all. If Puzzle ever did complain or push back, Shift would just point out how Puzzle wasn't as clever and wouldn't it be better just to trust Shift's judgment. One morning, they were both by Cauldron Pool, Cauldron Pool, whatever it might be, uh, at the bottom of the Great Waterfall in the western edge of Narnia. And suddenly, Shift yelled out that he saw something yellow come down the waterfall and floating in the water. He told Puzzle, swim out, go get that. Puzzle asked, 
wouldn't it be better if Shift swam out to get it since he's the one curious about it? Puzzle didn't really care. Plus, Puzzle, being a donkey, doesn't have hands to go grab something, only hooves. So Shift, being an ape, would probably have an easier time grabbing it anyways. Shift scoffed at this, acting offended that Puzzle would even suggest such a thing. Like, why didn't he know how weak-chested apes were? How easily Shift might catch a cold? He might even die if he were to swim out in this breeze. Is, does, does Puzzle really want that? And he made his voice as if he was going to cry. Puzzle said, oh, no, no, of course, Shift, you shouldn't go out. You can't go out there. I won't let you. Of course that he would do it. Walking out into the water, he first got a face full of foam, and then he found himself caught up in the swirl of water, pushed under the waterfall, down to the bottom, almost drowning, before finally reaching the object and pushing it ashore. The ape never bothered to even ask if he was okay. He was too busy looking over the thing, spreading it out, and it turns out it was a lion skin. Now, Puzzle suggested that they bury it out of reverence for you-know-who, uh, Voldemort. Um, while not that. It's not Voldemort. It's Aslan. Uh, but oh, out of reverence okay. for the great lion, uh, while Shift said, oh, don't bother. It clearly wasn't a talking lion. There's no talking lions beyond this end of Narnia. And after all, they'd be able to make a nice coat out of it for Puzzle to wear. Now, the donkey said, I wouldn't really like that. But the ape replied that it wouldn't be disrespectful to Aslan. and He shouldn't worry about it. In fact, he said, Puzzle should trot down to the market, get them some fresh oranges and bananas. The donkey said, I'm exhausted. I'm cold and wet. Why would I do that? I don't really want to do that. But Schiff said, well, that's all the more reason a brisk trot would warm him up. And so as soon as the donkey was gone, the ape went up his tree and got scissors and sewing supplies, began transforming the lion's skin to fit the donkey's body. Late in the day, a puzzle returned, saying the market didn't have oranges or bananas. Uh, but Shift said, doesn't matter. It's time for Puzzle to try on his new lion skin coat. Now, of course, Puzzle didn't want to. He's tired, and the idea still made him uncomfortable. But Shift talked him into it because he'd done all this work to make it happen. And he fitted the lion skin onto him. Looking over his work, he said, if anyone were to see Puzzle right now, at least from a distance, they might think he was the great lion himself, think he was Aslan. Puzzle replied, that would be a dreadful thing. That's not a good thing. But Shift said, no, no, it wouldn't be bad because then they do what he says. And they started to argue back and forth about uh, the idea of telling people to do things, pretending to be Aslan, with Shift wanting Puzzle to command people to do things like get them the fruit they want, maybe get some extra sugar. Or uh, As they were debating this, though, there was a great thunderclap and a small earthquake that threw them both onto their faces. Now, Puzzle said, see, we shouldn't do this because obviously Aslan is telling us he doesn't want us to. But Shift said, no, this is actually a sign we should do it. I was just about to say that if the real Aslan wanted us to do it, he should send the thunderclap and an earthquake. But wouldn't you know it, it happened before I could say so. Uh, so they had to do it now. After all, what do donkeys even know about signs? True. That's a great point, Shift. Uh, Chase, I don't think I'm exaggerating <clears throat> when I say that I think shift in a book where we are about to see like a literal like demon creature and in a series where we've seen like several representations of like the devil 
I think Shift has got to be the worst character. Yeah, Shift is just... <laughs> he is what uh, a word that C.S. Lewis, Lewis uses a lot in this chapter, that we're not going yes. to... This is a family-friendly podcast. We're going to edit C.S. Lewis for our times. Yes, but, uh, despite yeah. him... Despite him, you know, befriending slash like, you know, potentially enslaving this like donkey, it is Shift who is much more donkey like. Yeah, he's man, he's so manipulative. Like, it's honestly crazy. And we all know people like this, right? People who think that they can take advantage of people, don't really think about other people. Like, there's a sociopathic element to it for sure. But there's also just like the everyday, that guy, you know, who doesn't really care about people's feelings, just what he can get out of it. And it's uh, yeah. when it's put into this format where you just see it all smushed together at once. It's yeah, gross. it is. And it's, it's the entire chapter is just filled from start to finish with shift being manipulative. And it's something that both you and I are going to talk about and further up and further in of just kind of his nature, but how much he is just using his cleverness and his wit to gaslight and manipulate and deceive Puzzle, who is kind, but, you know, naive. Uh, and, and you know, it's it, like it starts with him basically being like, hey, you go get me all of these, like, good foods from town, and you eat grass and thistles, because he's like, hey, I can't eat those things. So it only makes sense that I would eat good food and, you know, I don't get to eat grass and thistles like you. And it continues yeah. through, like, it's a good thing. Like, C.S. Lewis does a great job of displaying the character in little things like eating grass and thistles so that it leads up to the grand deception of eventually becoming Aslan. Yeah, which, I mean, and we can get into this part more, but this chapter like the way that it started is pretty unique in the way that yeah in the way that C.S. Lewis starts chapters. But one thing that really stood out to me about it is how much it reminded me of the start of the voyage of the Dawn Treader and the introduction of Eustace because they real C.S. Lewis really starts strong boy named Eustace scrub and he almost deserved it. Like, like really yeah leaning into how obnoxious and terrible and just horrid Eustace is as a person yeah. so that he can redeem him over that book. But in this right. book, I mean, it starts story books beginning. There once was a ape and he was very old and clever. And like, he is the point of view character as we jump into this book in a large way. Right. I think the, as you mentioned, the beginning of this book is so different because the other six books that we've read through so far in this series, they all start from the point of view of the child or children who are going to be the main focus of the story. This is the only book that starts from the point of view of the antagonist, of or at least the driving, like, the driving point of the negative action in the book. Um, it reminded me, you know, if you've, if you've ever read the Harry Potter books, mm -hmm. uh, it is, it's famous. Like the Harry Potter books are famous for having like 99% of the chapters be Harry POV. 
And like the ones that are not are very, very memorable because they are not. And, you know, the one that I'm thinking of in particular, this is big spoiler warning if you have never seen or read any of the Harry Potter books. Uh, But in the Half-Blood Prince, uh, it starts off not with Harry, which is what you normally get, but with Snape and with Bellatrix and Narcissa Malfoy um, as they are coming together and making a, you know, a, oh my gosh, what's the, the unbreakable vow, which we will learn later on again, massive spoiler warning. I don't want to be that guy from the viral video, uh, but massive spoiler warning for that book that he is going to eventually take over Draco's task of killing Dumbledore. And it's a, it sets the tone for the entire book of going, yeah. Hey, now that Voldemort's back, now that it's obvious that he is, you know, here, bad things are now happening. And like the plot is really getting, you know, developed by this one scene. And so I think it's really interesting that in this book, we're not starting off with Eustace and Jill who are going to be our, you know, POV children character again. Uh, like we got last time, we're not going back to experiment house. We're not going back to their school and dealing. Thank God, because, you know, everyone knows that experiment house is the worst. You're not getting this, uh, you know, Hey, this is what brought them into Narnia. And then we'll get the backstory later. It's like, no, the backstory is the driving point of this plot right now. And it's a big deal. And it's starting it going like, this is different from the other books because this is the beginning of the end. Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy. I was thinking about that chapter of Harry Potter too. It's uh, it really is distinct in that way of like starting with it. It throws you off when you've read at this point six other books that all start with kids living in the real world, right. living their regular lives, and then Narnia is the magic that breaks in and adds meaning to their regular lives. Here we're starting in Narnia and the kids are going to be the thing that breaks into Narnia to bring in the meaning, uh, which is interesting. And I think that gets into some of the like big arc of this book is, I mean, being the last battle being, I mean, it starts, it's the first four words of or four or five words of this book. It's the last days of Narnia. And yeah. so He's C.S. Lewis know, is right collapsing the these worlds into each other because, spoiler alert for the Bible, if you've never <laughs> read uh, read the end of the Bible, uh, the big promise of the gospel is that creation is a new creation, like heaven and earth colliding into one another into what is called new creation in the Bible, yeah. where... Narnia being a allegory for heaven and earth being earth. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, Crazy. Like the idea of the end of this book is the culmination of that. Yeah. And and though we went in chronological order of what happens in Narnia, I think it's important for us to reiterate, you know, 96 uh, odd podcasts in that the order of this series starts with, Lion the Witch, like in terms of when he released them, was Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe, uh, Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Silver Chair, 
as like first four. And yeah. then go, he goes back to horse and his boy gives a little like, you know, interlude with Peter, Edmund, Lucy and Susan. And then the, the penultimate book is actually the first chronological and the one we started with the magician's nephew. And so before he writes last battle, so for our sake, you know, if you're going back to when he's telling this story, he is ending with the beginning of Narnia, followed immediately by the end of Narnia. Yeah, which is cool. I, I think that definitely gives some different color to how he wrote those books. And I mean, I'm still of the opinion, even after re- this whole reread, that Magician's Nephew is my favorite one. Um, it is. Uh, it's, it's uh Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really good. You can tell that his writing evolved by that point. Yeah, um, but but it also I feels this true is... to a lot of the uh, thematic. Like <clears throat> it, it's got the same vibe as like a Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, but I, he's worked out a lot of the uh, storytelling structure stuff that frustrates me about Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Right, exactly. But I think all of that is important stuff to get into. You know, this I think this book is going to have a lot of interesting things to dive into uh, because this chapter predominantly is setting up the tension of the book. It is setting up what is going to be the main problem that, you know, our heroes are going to be dealing with and facing. And it's set up by a character who seemingly shouldn't be the person who or the like the being who is creating the tension in all the other books, the like main antagonist, you've had the white witch, you've had, uh, you know, this invading army. Uh, and then there's even the threat of bringing the white witch back. There's the green lady who is herself a witch and a giant serpent. This is a talking animal of Narnia. Yeah. Like this is, this is not the like expected place that you're you're thinking of. Oh, this is going to be what leads to the great downfall of society. But these dominoes really start hitting. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that a character archetype of like cleverness, something yeah. that we would look for in a hero, right. being put into someone who is so inherently unlikable. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I was just thinking through, like, man, if we were coming at this as children, like, what would what would I think if I already didn't dislike people who thought they knew everything? Um, and that's, uh, like, uh, Shift is such a unique type of person that I feel like, as a kid, you don't really fully grasp that yet because like you can see the like manipulation, the way that he's mistreating puzzle, but like as adults or like, even like if you were like a teenager, Venus, by a certain point in life, you know, this guy, like, yeah, <laughs> like we have encountered this person who thinks they're better than you. And so doesn't feel bad about trying to use you. And right. that's uh, such a interesting, like, regular guy villain archetype yeah put in like it's such a different energy than like a 
all-powerful evil or an evil witch who is trying to like pursue power at all ends or a totally powerful person who's trying to pursue money at all ends this is a everyday person who's trying to exert control into the world by subverting the idea of truth and that's going to be a big theme of this book but it's such a different like mature type of villain to write into a story it's an interesting thing to like let him kind of play the hero role, but like that hero role in this first chapter leaves such a distinct bad taste in our mouth that we know that we shouldn't be on his side by halfway through the chapter. And and that's why, like, again, you know, you were just, you know, mentioning it. And like, I think it's so important, like the, you know, I think he, you know, we have to recognize again, this is a children's story and this is communicating the danger of someone who is clever, someone who knows how to say what to say, but who is ultimately selfish and irreverent. Someone who is doing it, you know, for, for personal gain and someone who does not actually respect the, you know, authorities and powers that define what truth is, what goodness is. Uh, and so Shift, though he is a normal character, is incredibly dangerous and with that and with that danger comes the moment that actually sparks the you know the action intention in this book i'll go ahead and apologize to the listeners for the doorbell of my mom dropping off money in the middle of that conversation uh (laughs) uh, yeah it happens it it is all indeed but just like your mom dropped off something for you, the plot dropped off something for, uh, you know, puzzle and shift. And I'll say this is probably the only part of this chapter that I've got kind of a little like nitpick and bicker about because I think it's a little it's a little dumb because what happens? I mean, so, it's all a little dumb. It's still the children's book. <laughs> sure. I don't mean the plot. I'm okay with what happens. It's the explanation. So we we hop to Cauldron Pool uh, because, you know, it bubbles up like a cauldron. Um, and uh, Shift is like, hey, what's that, like, yellow thing floating down the river towards us? And he, you know, deceives Puzzle into going there. And he says, like, again, this master manipulation at work because Puzzle's like, bro, you have thumbs and, like, can actually grab things, you should go in there. Yeah, and Puzzle's also like, I don't even want it. I don't care what that I don't is. Care. I'm yeah. not interested in this game. Real real Eeyore vibes from Puzzle. Um, but he, he like, shifted. He goes, oh, you know apes have weak chests. Bro, have you ever seen an ape? <clears throat> like, they, if anything, like, that, every time I read that, I just, I think it's funny because, like, C.S. Lewis, like, is obviously making a joke there. Where it's like, no, apes have, like, notoriously strong chests. Like, they are very, very, very strong. But he deceives Puzzle into retrieving it. So it's this donkey wading into this pool that's, you know, he's trying to swim and grab whatever this thing is. And he pushes to shore a lion's skin. Now, here is my my nitpick and my, you know, the the part that the only part that I'm like, eh, that was that was kind of lame. Let's hear because, it. Because uh he 
he goes like it's a it's a it's a lion's skin and they're like shift is immediately like ooh, this could be great and puzzle is like um i don't feel comfortable with this because what if that's a talking lion and shift is like that's obviously not a talking lion and when that said c.s lewis gives a small interjection just a couple sentences where he's like that's true a hunter, a man, had killed and skinned this lion somewhere up in the Western Hills several months before, but that doesn't come into this story. Basically, a guy kills a lion, skins it, and then just throws the pelt in the river, and it floats down the river. Who would skin a... You're not hunting lions for meat. Like, that's my thing, is I'd, I would have rather this like if he's going to have an interjection where he said, well, that's someone else's story, which like, that's a joke we've been making the entire podcast of like, that's not your story. He's providing something in here. That's like, uh, I needed to, I needed a way to get a lion skin to these people. I like the plot that they're going to do. I like the deception. Yeah. I like what they're going. Why not just say there was a lot there. There was a dead lion. Yeah. And like then shift like you like if you want to see how like willing he is to be manipulative and how willing he is to like stick to the bit kind of thing, is we're gonna see him go and retrieve sewing needles and thread, which is ridiculous, but it's more believable for me that he has sewing needles and thread than that just someone killed a lion, skinned it, and was like cool let's get rid of the pelt and they threw it and the pelt after skinning a lion is intact enough after going down a river like i would have rather than be like like if he's gonna give an interjection which i don't like just as a narrative structure yeah like if he's like a lot like very much his his mo though he loves to get a little author's interjection right but like give me something like there was a, you know, a human who, you know, killed a lion because he was being attacked or because like he thought that the lion was dangerous, you know, give something and like the lion itself floats down the river. Yeah. I don't like that. It was just like, yeah, a hunter, like hunters keep everything. Yeah. Like, you don't just, you know. Well, and also like a lion specifically is not a game. It's not something you hunt. Like you're, you're, yeah. you're not hunting it to eat. You're hunting it for prize. And so if you were hunting a lion for a prize, you would it more than not specifically keep the skin if you weren't going to keep the meat. You're you're but, at least going to keep the head. Yeah. But I don't know. The thing that brought that came to mind for me with this was just I feel like that disrupts the opportunity to deal with like the sovereignty of Aslan or the interplay yeah. of other forces in the world because like this feels like a either aslan moving things towards their destination knowing what they're going towards or like like giving a like test to these talking creatures of narnia or a tash or whatever other evil forces or other forces in narnia yeah are existent providing a tool providing an opportunity for yeah. deception and and turning away from aslan agreed or both because i think oftentimes it's both 
Right. I think those things would have been great. I just, I don't like, like, again, I love what they do with it. I hate how they get it or like the reasoning yeah. behind why they get it. Yeah. Um, and I think we so much don't need a reason. It could just be Sully yeah. thing. Hmm. Alliance there. I wonder who killed it. And that be the whole question and right. not actually need it to be answered. Because the, like, you know, it's the mystery is good in fantasy, like a little bit of mystery. Like that's why, like, why is Gandalf such a remember, like a character that people love? Cause he doesn't explain why he does it or how he does it. It's going like, like you, you, you're left with, you're left with so many questions and like J.R.R. Tolkien is infamous. I mean, think, think about the character of Tom Bombadil in general. No one will ever know who he is and what his purpose is because J.R.R. Tolkien died saying no one will know who he is. Like, uh, except the Lord of the Rings TV series will answer that, obviously. Tom Bombadil, also Sauron. <laughs> Tom Bombadil, Sauron and Galadriel's love child. He was there before the, the singing of the world. But uh, alas, uh, like, liked a little bit of mystery there. We didn't get it. It's okay. That's my gripe. We move on because yeah. now. The plot is set into motion because Shift now has an idea. And he's like, yo, let's make this into a coat that you could wear. Because, like, then, like, you'd look like a lion. And that'd be hilarious. Uh, and Puzzle is starting to be like, um, I feel like that'd be disrespectful. Yeah. Uh, and and Shift is such like, such a ah. distinct, like, like, parallel of, like, or not parallel. It's so opposed the way that each of them treat this this body that they, they found a yeah. dead body in the river and they have yeah. completely different reactions. Yeah. Puzzle is reasonable and reverent in the it. sense yeah. of that he's like, not only should we bury this in general because it might have been a talking lion and we just don't actually know, but we should treat it with reverence because our Lord is a lion in this situation yeah. and it would be disrespectful to treat a lion badly because of that. And yeah. whereas shift is just so the other end of, you know what? It doesn't matter. There's no use in being reverent in any way. <clears throat> like, it's unimportant. Aslan wouldn't care. And we can have fun with this. Like this is an Man. opportunity to yeah. have. And I think that gets into more of his kind of sociopathic tendencies totally um, he sees people as opportunities he yeah. doesn't see people as beings worthy of respect and value dude i man it, it gave me like this these passages with shift reminded me so much of characters like umbridge from harry potter or mm -hmm. where it's like man you just make me so angry and it's like it's such a well-written character because, like, you look at even, like, whenever we get to Tash later on in the book or Voldemort or, you know, Sauron, where it's like, yeah, those are bad guys. It's clear that they're bad guys. Yeah. These are people, like you said, because they're so knowable. And yeah. They're so, like, this, this passage where, you know, Puzzle's like, I feel like that would be disrespectful. Like, for a donkey like me 
you know, and he uses the other word there, which I think even adds to the like factor. He's recognizing his lowness yeah. in in things of like I don't. Yes, Lewis like I is doing do wordplay with this word. We we just don't feel comfortable doing that on this right. podcast. And shift goes, don't stand arguing, please. What does a donkey like you know about these things of that sort? You know you're no good at thinking puzzles, so why don't you let me do your thinking for you? Why don't you treat me as I treat you? I don't think I can do everything. I know you're better at me than some things. Uh, that's why I let you go into the pool. I knew you'd do it better than me. But why can't I have my turn when it comes to something I can do and you can't? Am I never allowed to do anything? Do be fair. I was like, I was reading that just like fuming. Because I was like, this is such an angering character. Yeah. And it's, it is a well-written, like, oh, yeah. short, like, he drops you right into it, but you get, so, it's so realistic, for one thing. Like, it's the yeah. way that, again, people actually be like that. Uh, but I think what you said about, like, Umbridge is so right. Like, this is not a archetypal evil this it's is a dark lord yeah. noble character this is like a like he has a thing that is his personality type and yeah. you get it right away and you can see how he would be in 20 other situations just because of like the three or four that we see play out in this chapter yeah. of the way that he manipulates the way that he makes himself the victim to get what he wants from his friend who he is victimizing by doing that yeah it's uh yeah it is it's infuriating but it's also it, so it's really good yeah. yeah it's a great horrible character yeah uh, you know and it's it's so it's awesome from that perspective but man like reading shift i'm just like i i want you to die like i want <laughs> you like i and like you know I'm not going to spoil anything too much for this book, but it's like, he will get punishment, you know, and he will get comeuppance, but it's like, golly, this is some frustrating stuff because right after this, he's going to, you know, convince puzzle to now, because he's like, uh, I need to get you out of the way. I need to like, get you out of here and hey, go to the market, go get some oranges and bananas. He's like, dude, I'm exhausted. I just swam in this pool. Uh, that's like bubbling and, you know, frothing. And he's like, yeah, but that's why you should go because this will refresh you. And he's like, all right, I guess so. And then he goes and gets his, you know, uh, his sewing materials that this ape just carries around. Uh, he learned to sew from the dwarves. Of course, uh, because he is old as dirt. Yeah, he is very old, very wrinkly, but very clever. But uh, very clever. And I'll see what you think about this, because... I mean, for one thing, neither of us did it for a further up and further in, so I feel like it's safe to talk about. But uh, I feel like if he did fit into an archetype, he fits very squarely into the false teacher archetype. Oh, yeah. But not in, at least at this point, a position of power. So it's right. subtle. But like the ways that he tells Puzzle, like, no, like, I know better than you. I am. Right. The elite thinker, like it, it is an elitism commentary. I mean, it's in an everyday situation, but I'm the learned one. I'm the one, like you could see this for people who are like, oh, well, I went to college. So like, I, I know better. Yeah, like, totally. I have read this book or listened to this podcast or like know more about this subject. So who are you to question 
the person who knows more. And no doubt. that is so subversive because it yeah. shuts down. It's a, uh, I, I've heard some people use the phrase thought killing cliche. It's mm. he's using these, I mean, they're not cliches, so to say, but he's using these thought killing arguments to say, no, let me lead you along rather than you use your mind and gifting and ability to totally things that would actually challenge my quote unquote smarts with yeah. what's actually wisdom in this case, because smarts yeah. and wisdom are not the same thing. Totally. And the, this is a, the reason I didn't like bring that up as my further up and further in is we you, like, we're going to be able to talk about the false teacher. Oh, for sure. Like archetype way more throughout the book because eventually false teacher is going to turn into antichrist archetypes mm -hmm. uh because you know to spoil somewhat of this book this what is about to happen is going to lead to like you know especially when you take the you know quote that chase started the book with or this podcast with where he's like think of the good we could do the orders we could give we could direct nari in our way why because he looks and appears like Aslan and like it is the fake Aslan coming into the world, someone who is deceiving, but eventually that is going to be usurped by a political power using it for their own motivation and gain. Now, granted, we're going to tiptoe around some of those subjects because, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis is still a, a British man in the 1950s. Uh, so we're going to have to deal with some, you know, racial undertones in terms of the political usurping. Uh, we but, have, uh, I mean, we, we can take, I haven't read any more than this chapter so far, so we can take that as it comes. It will we'll be interesting because like, I know, I don't know, coming from a like evangelical Christian background, growing up with yeah. like the left behind series. And oh, yeah. for me personally, I don't know where you land on various topics, but I am not either a dispensational thinker or a premillennial thinker when it comes to end times theology, which for the <laughs> listeners, sorry for the, uh, for, for the insider baseball stuff, but like basically the assumptions that you go to the Bible with that gets you something like a left behind series I don't subscribe to. So I'll be interested to read this knowing that there are end times conversations within it sure. and having that background, but not necessarily subscribing to some of those things in my reading of the scripture. I'll be interested to see kind of where, where these things go for that as totally. well. Again, not totally. having read the rest of this book, none of that could matter, but right. <laughs> so I'll be interested. Yeah, no, it's a, uh he definitely brings up a lot of end times things and it is going to be much more pre-mill, you know, left behind esque than it is otherwise. Um, Which but, I mean, to be fair dispensational pre-millennial like ideology and, and theology is very much a 20th century phenomenon. Like that is totally. its peak is, is totally 20th century my view on that if we're you know just get it out of the way i have my thoughts on eschatology ultimately i don't think eschatology is the most uh -huh. important 
uh, of the theologies because what does Jesus teach about it? He says, be ready. Yeah. And that's it. Like, that's like his main teaching is like, just stay awake, be ready. And so whether it's, you know, amil, pre-mill, post-mill, like it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it is a thing to divide over or get worked up over, but it is an interesting topic that uh, I think we'll add. No doubt. (laughs) No doubt. But all that to say, so puzzle goes on his trip. He comes back and, you know, once he's come back, I, the, the one part of the like creation of the like Aslan costume that I think is really important that he it's cause like, it's a seemingly throwaway line. Um, but it's so important. He goes, he saw it like, this is shift. He goes shift saw it once that the body of the lion skin would be too long for puzzle and it's neck too short. So he cut a good piece out of the body and used it to make a long collar for Puzzle's long neck. Then he cut off the head and sewed the collar in between the neck and the shoulders. Uh, what this is doing is creating this image of like, this is a lion costume that is controllable. Mm-hmm. A collar you do not put on something that is free, that is able to roam and you know act autonomously. A collar is used for controlling. And I was like, man, what a like, it's a small line because you're like, yeah, of course that makes sense. Like the body's too long. So he's got to, you know, cut it up and sew things together for a collar because he's controlling Aslan. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting because collar, I mean, sure, there's collars for like my dog outside who's barking right now. Uh, but it really took my mind immediately to like Game of Thrones and yeah. Like, the collars of slavery in yeah. like one of the same. And I mean, historically, like you can look yeah. at American history for this, but totally. Uh, like, and that's a this idea of controlling people through like that means of binding is, uh, is visceral. Totally. It, I thought that was really powerful um, imagery there, but he comes back and he's like, there aren't any bananas. There aren't any oranges. I'm exhausted. And Shift is like, ah, cool. Because he didn't actually care. He just yeah. needed him gone so that he could do what he's going to do. And he's like, hey, put on this coat. And he's like, bruh, I'm exhausted and I don't even want a coat. I'm a donkey. What do I need a lion coat for? Uh, and he's like, bro, I've been slaving over this. And like, won't you just humor me? Don't you? Do you oh, hate you me? don't even like my gift? You you really take me for granted. Like, it's... I, again, infuriating stuff. Makes me so mad reading Shift. Uh, but it, because it's so well written yeah. and then he proceeds to tie it on. He's putting the lion mane and, you know, mouth over puzzles, you know, snout. He's, you know, tying the legs around him. He's fastening it under his stomach, like so that he now looks like a lion. And, you know, if you have the books with the illustrations, it, it I think it gives a great look or it's like, clearly it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like, a flat lion, but it's passable, you know, and from afar, especially like you could understand why people would assume that it is a lion. Uh, and we're far you, away. Sure. Sure. Uh, but like, again, it's the, it's the deception. It's all about the ruse. And we get to the point of shift going, this is now my play. I think that I could use Aslan because you're too, you don't know what to tell people. But I could speak through you. I have the words of wisdom. 
and we can make Narnia the way we want it to be and puzzles like, but Narnia is great. Like we we're talking animals. We can walk around. We have freedom yeah. and like puzzle like shift is immediately like everything's all right. They don't even have oranges and bananas here, which is what he asked for in the first place. Yeah. It's uh, it's <laughs> that battle between the voice that says we have everything we need and the voice that says, well, we need more. Like yeah. it's that discontentment, like etching in the sides where like, puzzle is right like they they live in narnia they live in the magical land that millions in like our real world where we are talking about this right now like spend their childhood wishing they could go and but instead uh shift is pushing him towards like no like we need to we need to make this better we need to push this towards like what if we got everything we wanted out of this versus right we're content with and thankful for the things that we've already been given. Right. And he, they progressively work this through. He's saying like, well, you know, wouldn't you like sugar? And he's like, well, I do like sugar. And he's like, well, there you go. This isn't a perfect world then. And like, so you'll pretend to be Aslan. I'll tell you what to say. And puzzle still going like, this feels irreverent. This feels wrong. I may not be clever, but I know that you shouldn't. And, you know, try to like intimate, Aslan and you shouldn't try to be someone who's pretending to be him like how would Aslan feel if he turned up and shift is still keeping he's like I think he'd be you know super pleased like probably you know and this is again going to your point of like why I wish they would have left the mystery there of going like he probably sent us the lion skin on purpose so that we could set things right and you know anyway he never does turn up you know not nowadays where it's like again if you would have left that sovereignty of God in there, the divine intervention aspect, maybe he did send it yeah. to spark things. Maybe someone else sent it. You know, you can leave it there. Um, and like, but then he, this is, this gives such like Satan in the garden or Satan with, you know, Jesus temptation where he's just like, yeah, like, you know, what about this though? Did God really say God isn't even here? God is holding out on you kind yeah. of stuff. Uh, and he's like, Aslan doesn't even show up. Is Aslan even real? Like, he hasn't been here in a hundred years or however long it's been since then. And like at that moment, thunderclap, earthquake, and puzzle is like, okay, Ob- not good. Obviously, that's our answer, right? <laughs> like, like uh, you see, we shouldn't be doing this. Aslan isn't happy we're doing this. And man, what shift does with that is insane. But also, like, again, so manipulative, he goes into, like, no, no, actually, I was just about to say that, like, if Aslam wanted us to do this, he should send a thunderclap and a small earthquake, and then it happened. And it's... He just beat me to the punch. (laughs) Yeah. There is a strand of, like religion of like people who try to attribute like everything to spirituality in a way that justifies what they're wanting to do of like, Oh, well my prophecy came true and therefore you should listen to me and send me $20 or whatever. And it just has, I think that's where it comes into like that kind of, 
I mean, he's been manipulating the whole time, but here's where he really turns into like just outright fake like, spirituality. Like, yeah, yeah. Like his he's becoming <laughs> he's becoming the prosperity preacher. Um, right. Well, I think this is where you start seeing the turn into Antichrist territory of like the yeah. person who is like trying to be and intimate jesus without claiming jesus by denying jesus but also replicating him you know and and trying to do those things and it also so clearly shows that he doesn't care about aslan because he sees this very clear like work of like oh like that was if you needed a sign there's your sign uh right and he's so quickly in the camp of, no, we're going to do what I want anyways. And absolutely, uh, yeah, it yeah, it it's lets you know everything oh, you need to. Exactly, uh, but and that's where our that's where our chapter ends. Uh, you know, after after seven chapter or after seven books, maybe C.S. Lewis is finally learning what a like you know a cliffhanger actually looks like. Oh uh, yeah, ending on the sentence what could a donkey know about signs is so like, yeah, it's one of the better chapter endings. Maybe he's finally learning, you know, it's, we'll see. Hey, we'll see. We'll be the judge of that. Uh, but Chase, as we close the chapter, would you like to start us up with our further up and further in? Sure. Yeah. For my further up and further in today, uh, I just wanted to hit on this, uh, this idea, this character type of the silver-tongued person in literature and, and movies and, and so on. Uh, I mean, we see it all over the place. The person who is the deceiver, who uses many words to try to convince someone uh, who has good intentions that they should veer off the righteous path. So like we see like in Lord of the Rings, there's there's a worm tongue whispering in the ear of the king, uh, trying to lead him towards Saruman's will. Or thinking like Marvel, like Loki is the silver-tongued like trickster, and he is always trying to talk people into things that are going to benefit him. But at the end of the day, he is an agent of chaos. He's not there to bring about good in the world. He's there to bring about things that he thinks are going to benefit him or give him more power or glory. Uh, in Game of Thrones, literally every single character is, is a silver tongue deceiver. Like think about all the dynamics of like Littlefinger and Tyrion and Varys and, and just all these different people who are whispering in each other's ears, little things to try to manipulate people down a different path or, even in Star Wars, Sheev Palpatine, uh, soon to be known as Emperor Palpatine in the uh, prequels, seducing Anakin into the dark side. Uh, there's this idea of the person who is seeking power, who's seeking uh, their own will and ways to the neglect of or the opposition of the righteous way. And that's, uh, I think, I have a suspicion what we're going to continue to see in this book. Absolutely. Right. And then uh, what I wanted to hit on is similar, you know, both of the things that we're talking about, because so much of this chapter is focused in on shift and his character. Uh, what I wanted to talk about is the idea and the trope of gaslighting 
in fiction and you know how that kind of allows us to see things in reality now I want to preface this neither chase nor i are you know certified counselors or psychologists so please take all this with a grain of salt well i'm uh, sure we've both been gaslit totally absolutely right um but i can think of a uh, you know we might have been gaslit before could be could be you know but um for those who don't know gaslighting basically to put it very very broadly is basically having someone make you question your own reality right question what is true by uh you know deceiving manipulating by making you think that something is not as bad as it actually is that you are not you know xyz that the situation is not but someone who is making you question if your reality is what you're actually feeling or if you are the you know the the one that is out of whack right uh and what you're seeing here is you know shift constantly making puzzle question the reality of what is actually happening because he may not be as clever as shift so shift is taking advantage of that to go hey i actually don't have the ability to grab things and swim well and i have a weak chest and you know don't you you don't want me to die oh you're the one that always gets your way when none of those things are actually true but he's making puzzle assume that they are because he is less clever and he has a uh, and and shift has a better way of stringing words together that sound like they make sense. Uh, and you know other examples that you're going to see, uh, you know Mother Gothel entangled uh, in characters like her, where she's keeping her you know kidnapped daughter like hostage to her in a tower that she's never left for you know 18 years or whatever, uh, and going like, hey, outside is dangerous. You don't want to go there. But then when she goes out, it's not, hey, you know, everyone is going to, you know, abuse you. And, uh, you know, I'm the only one that takes care of you when, in fact, she's the only one that is hurting her. She's manipulating. Right. You see uh, characters like uh, every adult uh, in uh, the, you know, the story of Matilda. Uh, the whole story is basically like gaslighting for, you know, kids and like understanding that where every every adult is going you can't know anything because you're too young. You can't know anything because you're too stupid. You're too small. I'm big. I'm an adult. I'm, you know, this and that. So therefore I know more than you. When in reality, Matilda is the one that actually has the greater understanding of what is true and what is good, what is kind. Uh, and so I, I think it's important for us as we go through this book to understand the the concepts that C.S. Lewis is trying to help us understand when you see gaslighting in fiction and literature and movies or whatever, often you're having a character that is doing these things so that we as the audience can understand what is true, what is good, what is loving uh, by showing someone who is making another person question those things uh, by saying, hey, what you think is true and good and loving is actually false and, you know, you know, bad and wicked and stupid uh, when like we as the audience are going, no, no, no. Like those are actually good things. Um, and so those are, you're, you're setting up from chapter one, the themes of truth and goodness, morality by showing a character who is so willing to navigate around those things to get selfish motivation. In. But Chase, I'm just a, just a lowly, you know, podcaster, I can't swim into the 
into the depths of this cauldron uh, pool to tell these listeners, you know, where they can find more. If I just wish that you would, you know, do this for once. But I mean, you are pretty weak chested, so I I guess I'll I've do it told. if I have to. I've as I've you been insist. told. You know, no, Kelly, you can't dare. You you shouldn't tell the listeners that they can go find our podcasts in all the places that they get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, wherever they, they might go. And and Kelly, oh man, I couldn't I could never ask you to go on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts to to follow no. and like posts and and share with friends uh, whenever we put out new podcasts and oh, too man, much. I, I wouldn't want you to have to show up for the next podcast when we get into chapter two of the last book. You expect me to prepare? <laughs> what you want me to read? Sheev, S H E E V, Sheev Palpatine. Not the Jedi. <laughs> no, no, no. Unlimited power. I I do like I feel like the more and like I'd say like Star Wars is arguably the like piece of fiction or like the world that I am like the most into right now and like am deep into. It's fluctuated through, you know, the you know, my adult life, but like I feel like I just like Palpatine is just such a great character. Yeah. Because of how great he is at being terrible. Like 